This morning's scripture lesson comes from John chapter 8. And in your bulletin it says from verse 31 to verse 41, but I'm going to conclude reading at verse 38. And God's, and God's word says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for your holy word, your eternal word. We thank you for your mercy that is new every morning that allowed us to get in our cars and drive to a place of worship to worship you with your people. So now as we turn to hear the preaching of your word, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you um, do what only you can do, minister to all of our hearts. I pray now, Lord, that I decrease and you increase and that you be blessed right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I am Sir Gregory Thornton and I send greetings from, from downtown church and I'm looking out in the crowd and I'm seeing um, some, some familiar faces. So I just wanna say I'm excited to be here and thank you for giving me this opportunity to preach to you um, this morning. And I also have the privilege to begin this year's Gospel Priority Series. And this year's theme, if you don't know, derives from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus announces the purpose of his ministry. If you recall, when, when Jesus was getting baptized and he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice of God was heard saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And Scripture tells us that Jesus, being full of the Spirit, was led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where Satan tempted him. And after withstanding every temptation, this same Holy Spirit led him back to his hometown. And on a Sabbath morning, he went into the synagogue prepared to teach. And he took the scroll of Isaiah and read chapter 61, which says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to, proc to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't hide the reason why he came. He tells us up front the purpose of his ministry. And if you allow me today and this evening, I would like to double-click and focus on Jesus' objective to set at liberty the oppressed. 
And my title this morning is, is Free at Last. The beginning of every sporting event, regardless the level of play, begins the exact same way. Y'all know how it begins. With the singing of the national anthem. That brave soul stands in front of the crowd and says those words, Oh, say, can you see? And the crowd is quiet, humble, and with reverences is honoring the singing of this song. But it never fails towards the end when the singer begins the line, home of the free, the crowd begins to erupt and cheer. And even though the song goes on to highlight the brave, what is celebrated in this song and in our society is freedom. We treasure it, we value it, freedom. And I believe we celebrate freedom rightfully so. And many of us would define freedom as being free from anything or anyone hindering our ambitions or, or wants. Freedom gives us the power to be and do anything that we set our minds to. So we fight against anything and anyone who tries to step on our freedom. Two years ago when... When the pan- or three years ago when the pandemic started and, and specialists said to protect you and your loved one, put on the mask, no one argued. But when the government stepped in and made it mandatory, that's when we began to have debates and people began to rise up and say, you cannot make me do anything because they felt their freedom was at risk. We fight for our freedom. If I can be a little vulnerable, hope you don't judge me. Um, but I don't have a problem changing my nine-month son diaper. I don't have a problem when he wakes up in the middle of night going upstairs and, you know, and comforting him back to sleep. But when my wife abruptly kicks me and says, it's your turn, go up there and get him right now. I've been up with him all night. Something, something stirs up in me, y'all. Um, um, what I at first didn't have a problem with doing, I now have a problem with. I, I feel this sense of anger. I feel disturbed because who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> but not only who you think you're talking to, but now I feel my, my freedom is at risk. I feel like you're standing over me, controlling me. And similarly, this is the mindset that many have towards God and his word. The mindset that thinking God is just like the government looking to exert his will and rob you of the joy of your freedom. God is just an overbearing parent putting curfews on you, not letting you eat sugary snacks at night. God just placing all of these rules, these laws, these commandments to rob you of the fullness of life. So instead of submitting to God's word and trusting in his word as truth, we try to create our own path declaring that our way is better. We see this clearly in the life of Samson, who was, who was the strongest man to ever live. God set him apart as a Nazarite, which means that he was to, to never cut his hair, drink wine, touch or eat anything unclean. But instead of living according to God's word, Samson said, I want to be free. God's word 
said that he was not to marry a Philistine, but was a Philistine woman looking good and said, I had to help her, and he married her. God, I know what you say, but this is what I say. He was hungry one day walking down the road and, and saw um, um, honey and a dead lion's carcass and, and picked it up and ate it. Again, breaking the law, touching and eating something unclean. God, I know what you say, but this is what I say. And ironically, the path that he chose, that he thought was freedom, was actually the path that led him towards oppression and literal slavery. But before we judge Simpson, his life should serve as a warning to us all because some here today in this world and even within the walls of the church feel that the road is found when we live according to our own truth or when we twist God's truth to fit ours. And the main thing that Jesus teaches us in John chapter 8 is this. Freedom is found when we hold on to and surrender to his word as truth. And before we can understand how Jesus liberates the oppressed, we must first understand the concept of truth. And that leads me to my first takeaway this morning for those taking notes. And my first takeaway is this. God, not us, defines what truth is. I said, God, not us, defines what truth is. Look again at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, to men who are willing to follow him, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? But I love it that Jesus sets the table by declaring that his word is truth. That if, and if we abide in his word, we will know the truth and the truth will what? Set us free. Jesus makes the bold declaration that the path to freedom and the life that we all long for are found when we obey his words and, in, and his teachings. But these Jewish men who he's speaking to, they get offended. They say, hold on, hold on, hold on, Jesus. Do you know who you're talking to? We are the offspring of, of Abraham, the father of this great nation. We have never been slaves to anyone, so how can you set us free? Now, if you have spent any time in Sunday school or any time around the Bible, you know how laughable this is. Because the entire Old Testament is about Israel being slaves. In Exodus, we see them being slaves crying out to God to set them free for over 400 years. The book of Judges, we see them constantly being oppressed by the Philistines. The Babylon has held them captive for 70 years. Assyria enslaved them, and even currently, as they are speaking, the Roman Empire are forcing them to pay an extra tax to them. So it's laughable for them to say we have never been slaves, but I want us to see this is their reality. They have created this truth for themselves. They have taken it upon themselves to redefine the truth to be what they want it to be. History says this, but this is our truth. 
And this isn't a foreign concept, because right now, in today's world, we live in a relativistic society that, that literally gives everyone, each individual, the power and the ability to define for themselves their truth. That's why people can say what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. We have tr this today's culture is trying to destroy a standard of objective truth. So instead of submitting to what God has declared to be truth, even today we as people, we can search for people to validate what we want to be truth. Paul warned Timothy of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Instead of admitting that a person is wrong, we find people through podcasts and online articles. We turn to CNN or Fox News to justify our actions and desires, just looking for anyone who would affirm my truth. Uh, my wife's name is Jade, and I just told you about, you know, how she makes me go, you know, and get a little sir in the middle of the night. But we also have, I think, a maybe not so healthy habit of trying to prove our point. Um, if we come to a point in our house where I say the couch should face the left, and she say, no, it should face the right, we both simultaneously will Google which way should the couch face. <laughs> and... Um, even if the first article that pops up says it should face the way she's saying, I will skip it and I will scroll and I will scroll until I find the article that says it should face the left. And then I will send it to her and say, yep, every article I saw say it should face the left. <laughs> and yeah, I believe she does the same thing, so she's not off the hook. But see, instead of searching for God's truth, we tend to search for voices that validate our own. And I want us to see that God is the standard of truth. He determines the right way to live and how we should govern our lives. And Jesus says, abide in my word, and my word is truth. And before I moved on, move on, I, I want us to see that truth is not based on our feelings, our experiences. Truth is God's viewpoint on every matter and should not be redefined based upon what year it is, what, what party is in office, or even how you feel in the moment. No, Jesus' word is truth. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the one whom all things in heaven and on earth were made. Jesus is the one who before all things and in him holds all things. Jesus is the one who has an angelic choir singing his praises nonstop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus is the one who was in the beginning said, let there be light. And there was light. Setting the sun at the perfect temperature and hanging the moon in the night sky. Jesus is the one who led Israel during the day by a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Jesus is the one who told the storm to hush and the waves to sit down. And Jesus is the one and the one alone who is able to tell us what truth is. And he says, my word is truth. So what does that mean for you and me? That means that instead of coming to God's word, 
picking and choosing what we want to see. No, we humbly submit and relinquish control and say, God, your word is truth. And that may even mean that we have to repent of some old habits that we have been keeping our entire lives. There may be being able to look back at my grandparents and say, well, my grandparents taught me this, but now looking at God's word, I see that they taught me wrong because God's word is truth. And the hard truth this morning that you may not want to hear is that rejecting the truth of God is choosing a life of slavery. And that's my second takeaway this morning. Rejecting God's word as truth is accepting a life of slavery. Look again at verse 34 with me. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Everyone who practices sin is a what? Slave to sin. I'm going to try to do my best to um, make this plain. But the, but the plainest way I can is all Christian sin. There may be shocking news to you. Um, I used to work for Campus Outreach, and I met several college students who would say, that's why I don't go to church, because Christians, they hypocrites. They sin too. And I would always say, duh, that's the point. <laughs> because Christians are not perfect people who clean themselves up. People, Christians are jacked up, screwed up people who have simply placed their faith in Christ and said, God, I can't do it on my own. That's why I need you. And even after I intentionally turned away from living a sinful, intentional life, I sometimes still sin. But I want us to see that there is a massive difference between a Christian who sins and a person practicing sin. See, in the Greek, the word practices is, is actually in, in the active participle form. And I know maybe some of y'all like me struggled with English, so I'm going to teach you what a participle is. A participle defines a word that's in the ongoing action. So a Christian is someone who once practiced sin, that's past tense, I used to live like this, versus a person who is ongoing, living an endless Christian life. And while the one practicing sin may think that they are on the path to the abundant, blessed life, God's Word tells us that you are actually a slave. And I want us to see that Sin is the worst master to have because sin convinces you that nothing is wrong and everything is fine until the moment where it bites you like a snake. Sin promises a life of treasure but delivers a life of problems. Jesus is saying with love and compassion that when you reject me in search of freedom, you will find yourself in the worst kind of bondage. Um, Pastor Leon Morris wrote this. He says, people do not always... Or, or, or usually realize that they are in bondage. They tend to rest in some fancy position of privilege or power. So people think because they have money, a nice car can send their kids to a certain school, they are free, not realizing they may be enslaved. Um, I never met my biological grandfather, so... My last name, the Thornton's, which is always a question mark to me. I always wanted to learn more about the Thornton's. So um, during the pandemic, I had a lot more free time, and I found out that I could take full advantage of Ancestry.com two-week free trial. Um, 
So for two weeks, I was going hard just trying to um, learn about my family tree, and I learned about who my great-granddaddy was, and I got all the way back to my great-great-grandfather, Anthony Thornton. And in 1860, in the national census, he was listed as a slave. And as you can imagine, I, I just began to ponder about his life. What was his life like? I thought to myself, did he joke as much as me? Um, I thought, um, what did he go through to, for me to be here today? And then I thought, was he a Christian? And, I, of course, I have no way of knowing about his faith. But I do know that those African slaves, though they were uneducated and not allowed to read or write, have some of the richest theology that we still need to learn from today. They were seeing these songs called spirituals, which were an outward expression of and a declaration of their faith. And one song they sung was called Going to Shout All Over God's Heaven. And one verse in the song reads, I got shoes, you got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. One day in heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes and shout all over heaven's gates. Everybody talking about heaven, I ain't going there. So when this slave woman was, was sweeping around the house, she was singing that catchy song, I got shoes, you got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. But this song is so much more than just a catchy tune. Because what those singing the song was really saying is that even though in my physical body I might be in chains and forced to obey an earthly master, I've actually been set free because Jesus Christ, my true master, my heavenly master, has set my soul free. And one day when this short temporary life is over, I'm going to sing and shout and I will get my new shoes to walk all over God's heaven in. I got shoes. But then the last line was, everybody's talking about heaven. I ain't going there. And this was a secret message to the owner telling them that you may be free now and you may think you have power over your soul and mind, but you are the one who is really enslaved. See, the deception of sin gives you a little more power, a little more money, a little more pleasure, a little more status and privilege, and then tricks you into thinking that a life without God is a life of freedom. But those African slaves knew the truth, that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And this leads me to my last takeaway before I sit down this morning, is that submitting to God and abiding in his word frees you to live the life you yearn for. Submitting to God and abiding in his word frees you to live the life you yearn for. Look again at verse 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The slave not remaining in the house speaks to the moment of life that sin comes to an end. Compared to the son of, or, or the children of God who remain in the house forever. Um, and I want us to see that Jesus isn't a pushover. He's actually going toe to toe with these, with these Jewish scholars. And he said, the, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the uppercase son sets you free, being Jesus, you will be free. And, and I believe this is 
slick poetic. This is a play on words. And the play on words is that these Jews think of themselves as sons of Abraham, but in reality, they are sons and slaves to sin. But Jesus, being the one true son of God, has full authority and power to free the oppressed. And I don't know who need to hear this this morning, but Jesus is the spring of living water in John chapter 4 who can, satis- who, who can satisfy your soul. He's the bread of life in John chapter 6 who can take away your hunger and quench your thirst. And he is the light of the world in John chapter 8 who can deliver you from the darkness that plagues you. And Jesus is the son of God who can and will set you free. God is saying, I'm not seeking to oppress you or punish you, but I'm actually trying to lead you down the path of righteousness so that you can live the life that you are actually looking for. And as I close, I want to draw our attention to verse 37. Jesus says, you you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. You reject me and seek to kill me because there isn't room for my words in you. You have already made your mind up. You already know what you want to believe. So no matter what I say, no matter what you hear, you're going to reject me because your mind is made up. There's no room for my words. In church, we live in a world where we literally hear 700 different voices daily. We have our favorite podcasts, our favorite news station, our favorite um, TV stars, our favorite politicians, our favorite sports commentators, our favorite social media influencers, all filling our minds with their words. We say on Sunday, God, everything I have is yours. My money is yours. But we listen to to Wall Street all week and, and let them tell us what we should do with our money. We come to church on Sunday and say, God, everything I have is yours. You are my greatest delight. I will meditate on your word day and night. But then we find ourselves night after night being and watching the latest season on Netflix. I'm not judging you. That's a confession. But my question to you is, whose voice are you getting more of? God's word or man's word? An application that I want us to leave with and think about is to really examine your heart. Whose voice am I hearing hearing mostly? Look at your lives, look at your habits, and, and see, am I spending more and more time scrolling, flicking down my phone, or, or am I hearing the actual voice of God? And you may... Be thinking to yourself, how can Jesus really set me free? These words sound good and dandy, but how can Jesus really set me free? Because I have prayed for years and years, and I'm still struggling with this same sin. How can Jesus really set me free because, because he has not answered my prayer yet and fixed my marriage? He has not fixed and fix my my broken family? How can Jesus really set us free when we see all of the violence in this world? And we find ourselves asking the same question as these Jewish men, how can you set us free, Jesus? Well, let me tell you real quick before I sit down. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God's only son, became a slave to man by taking on flesh. 
Jesus, the holy, exalted one, allowed himself to be shackled. He allowed crowns of thorns to be beaten into his skull. He allowed men to mock him, the, the same man that he came to die for, mocked him. He allowed a, a plank of wood to be placed on his back. He allowed men to drive him up a hill called Calvary, raise him up on that cross, put two nails in his hand, one nail in his foot. And Jesus gave up his last breath so that those who place their faith in him may have everlasting life. And I want to tell you that this everlasting life is true freedom. And oh, what a wonderful day it would be when we let go of these earthly bodies and put on our heavenly bodies. What a wonderful day it would be when we let go of these earthly shoes and put on our heavenly shoes. Singing that song, I got shoes, you got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. And we will be free from sickness. We will be free from death. We will be free from, from, from hurt, aches in our body. We will be free to spend an eternity in the presence of God. As I sit down, I just want to say one more time that as we exalt Jesus and choose to follow him, that is when and only when we can actually say those words, I'm free at last, I'm free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you demonstrated your love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ, not only did you die to forgive us for our sins, but Lord, you died that we may become children of God. And it's only through looking to you and following you can we truly be your disciples. So God, our flesh it's weak at times, so Lord, I just pray that you fill us with your spirit. Allow us to, to leave this place encouraged, inspired to give our all and our all to you and you alone. I pray this and ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.